0: Yeah. Hello, and welcome to My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint. On this season of my podcast, I'll be talking to a variety of people, from creative entrepreneurs, to business owners, to writers, to entertainers and others, about being bold and courageous, overcoming obstacles and taking risks, all in the name of chasing dreams and building a career. I hope their stories will inspire you on your own journey. Thanks for listening. My special guest today is entrepreneur Juliet Facet, CEO of Happy Products, Inc. Originally from upstate New York, Juliet has spent many years living outside of the United States. She is a consumer products entrepreneur and has developed businesses, products, and brands for over 30 years in fashion, outdoor, and pet and houseware categories. She has three patents and is an intellectual property ac- activist with fairinventing.org. Juliet lives in Portland, Oregon, with her optical scientist husband, rescued street dog JoJo, and rescued senior cat Will Ferrell. She also has an off track American thoroughbred named Granite. I think I got that all right. Hi, Juliet. Hi, Trinette. <laughs> How are you today?
1: I'm fine. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you for joining and for joining my podcast. I'm looking forward to to talking to you and uh, excited for this conversation.
1: Me too. Thank you.
0: Awesome. So before we dive into it, I'd love to know about like some of the places you lived outside of the U.S. and what was the most special place for you?
1: Well, uh, so I uh, lived in, I went to school in London. I I did one of those semester abroad Mm -hmm. uh, gigs in London, which was fabulous. And then I actually got a job teaching skiing on the continent in the Pyrenees Mountains in a little principality called Andorra. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I I quit school in London and um, went and taught skiing for uh, the season in Andorra, and then I spent the summer in Spain working on the beach. This is when I was a kid. And then I also spent uh, a significant amount of time living in Japan
0: after college. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. That is amazing. Now, and I, what...
1: loved, I loved all those places, you know, and the thing is, you know, it's so different now looking back because I was so young, you know, yeah. in my early
0: 20s when I did that.
1: So, um, you know, you take, you take a a little bit of each of those places with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What encouraged, um, your time in Japan? I actually
1: didn't want to go to Japan. I actually was trying to get a job teaching skiing in New Zealand. And, Mm. um, one of my best friends from college said, Hey, Japan's on the way to New Zealand. Why don't you come as far as Japan? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work and then you can go to New Zealand from Japan. And so I got to Japan and we were teaching English. Um, and then I got a job teaching skiing in Japan. So I taught skiing in Japan and I never moved to New Zealand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. I am so fascinated by that. All right. Let's talk about some of your, um, your creative endeavors here. Tell me about some of the products you've created and what was your first one? Uh,
1: so the first product that I won't say, I can't say I created it because I didn't, but the first okay. product that really got um, my second business going mm-hmm. was a cell phone accessory. Remember when cell phones came out and they were those little flip phones, people yeah. actually now are going back to little flip phones, but um those little flip phones, and then there were all these little cases because nobody had pockets for their phones in their in their purses. So uh, we, uh, I went to Japan. I've been doing business in Japan on and off since I lived there.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I went there looking for products to import and distribute mm-hmm. or collaborate with Japanese companies on. And uh, I found a cell phone case that I thought had a particularly cute design. And so I brought that case into the U.S., and uh, that was the start of what became my handbag and fashion accessories business mix. Ah, so that's how that business got started, and I um, created that business together with my friend Cara, who is a designer, mm-hmm. and she has gone on to become a very uh, well known and well established designer in the fashion accessories b- business.
0: Wow. So had you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? And if so, like how did you go about well, I guess how did you manifest it and uh where did you find like the, the confidence and the courage to to take that path?
1: So I actually didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a good girl and get a job <laughs> and you know, have some benefits and have a career. Yeah. And what happened was uh I just discovered over time that I'm not a good fit for uh, large organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of myself as a really nice, kind person, but apparently uh, the disdain still shows on my face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't have a poker face I in the can't office?
1: I hide it when I think people are stupid, <laughs> they can read that. So, um, so I just, you know, for what, what, for, you know, lack of the right sort of temperament for working in larger organizations, um, it just was something that it, I, I had to cut my own way. Yeah. So it was more like, um, my inability to, uh, find gainful employment. Mm-hmm. And, um, people to work with mm. that I felt were, um, worthy of my time, I guess.
0: Is right. I say. Right. Right. And
1: that's, and that's not to say that I did, I did spend a little bit of time in the corporate world and I, a lot of it, I really enjoyed. Mm. I re- I really enjoyed and I learned a lot, but you know, you just get one psychotic boss who, who threatens you to the point where the hair stands up on the back of your neck. And you're like, okay, this is not for me.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, it was more out of a necessity. And that was a, a huge sign and you acted on it. So great.
1: Yeah. I mean, what are yeah. you going to do? I mean, you, you people put up with it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: what I, I really wanted to have a, a corporate career. I wanted to be a, a good team member, but, um, I just could not, I can't stand bullies and I won't put up with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when your fight or flight kicks in, I decided to fly. So, um, that was, that happened when I was, I, I had already had one of my own businesses for most of my Mm twenties. And then I went into the corporate world a little bit in my early thirties. And then that was the end of it. And so I've Mm. only worked for myself since then.
0: Well, good for you. Very proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, One of your signature products, the Flippy, has been famously copied without your permission. Can you tell us a bit about what the Flippy is and how did you discover this and how are you fighting this?
1: Okay, so um, Flippy is a tablet stand Mm -hmm. and it's uh, kind of an ingenious... Uh, design. And I came up with the concept for it and worked together with my optical design husband to figure out exactly what it should look like and how it should function. Mm -hmm. And we got, uh, we applied for our first patent in uh, 2011. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: um, it took six more years for it to really get to market. And Mm -hmm. uh, it exploded on QVC and pretty much right after we got all our momentum that's when i discovered it had been ripped off by
0: um ontel
1: products company uh,
0: out of new jersey oh wow wow that must have been gut wrenching and enraging at the same yeah,
1: time yeah i mean there's there's more there's there's more than i can possibly say about that story in the amount of time that we have together yeah but if I could uh, make a synopsis of it, it would be that um, the worst thing that can happen to an inventor at this point in history is that you create something of extreme value
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it doesn't matter if you have patents it doesn't matter if you have copyrights it doesn't matter if you have trademarks. The larger companies now don't care they, have the ability to steal your intellectual property without any pushback. There's no way to stop them uh, unless you have all the money in the world and are willing Mm. to spend all the money in the world on litigation. Um, In consumer products, the problem is that it happens in collaboration with big retail. So the big retailers know Mm. that they're buying products that are of questionable IP origin. And they don't care because they have indemnification by the sellers of those products. So these companies do a lot of legitimate business where they create their own products. Mm -hmm. But they're under pressure to keep delivering hit products. And nobody can keep delivering hit products. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't, it's not a straight line and it doesn't always keep going up and to the right. So what they do is they steal products from other people. And this has been going on for decades and decades. I know a woman who got ripped off by the same Kubani family in 1989. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you you look at what you can do. You can, you can, trying to explain to people is very difficult. Um mm-hmm. I'm channeling my energy into fairinventing.org which is a nonprofit and we're supporting people like me who have, you know, gone to battle against big guys. But um right now the system for intellectual property is so broken in this country that uh it is virtually impossible if you create something of value to keep it from getting stolen.
0: Oh, you have to wonder these companies whoever that person is that is deciding to actually steal somebody else's property like how are they looking at themselves at night like what what is it that these they they don't
1: have any they don't have any um souls <laughs> Yeah, they're like. I <laughs> mean, lacking a moral
0: to, to me, direction, they are,
1: they are absolute cartoon characters, right? Yeah. They are like the the Snidely Whiplash, right? Yeah. They're they're like, are you kidding me? I mean, this this these people. Um, the wife of the guy who uh, is the president of the company um, post pictures of their labradoodle on, uh, you know, sitting on their private jet, you know, when they're flying to San uh, Francisco or Aspen or whatever for the weekend. I mean, they, the amount of money that they stole from me is so staggering. I mean, I can't even, I don't even, I don't even know how to count those zeros. I mean, they, they came in, they absolutely infringed on my patent. They copied my product. They, they, put it in every single retail outlet. It was in every store across the country. Uh, They destroyed the market. And uh, there is no way for me to get after them. Then they post pictures of their weekend trips in Aspen, staying at the Little Nell, which is, you know, like $1,800 a night hotel. I mean, they did this on my back. So uh, these are people that they have no... um, I don't know. It, they just—they just
0: don't it's have It's mind-boggling. Any...
1: Yeah, I—I I, I don't know what. I, maybe it was poor parenting. I don't know. I—I—I I, really—I—I I, I don't know. I don't just understand complete
0: that. greed and laziness too. Just uh, it is. Well, I think
1: it's a level of greed that is something that you and I just don't understand. Right. People that are willing to destroy other people for money and steal from small independent inventors i mean my company is that you know it's a certified woman-owned business Mm -hmm. and you know and turn the other thing is that you know the retailers know i reached out to the retailers and told them they don't care there's no there's no respect for intellectual property
0: so tell us where people should be buying your products from
1: the product is called flippy Mm-hmm. It is available at getFlippy.com and it mm-hmm. is also available on Amazon.
0: Okay. And that's
1: that's where and I'm I'm getting an Etsy shop open as we speak. And i I have high hopes that Etsy is going to be a little bit of a refuge. Yeah. And I may I may put it on Walmart.com. I'm looking at Walmart as a platform, mm-hmm. but Walmart is also still selling the ripoff. Yeah. Despite cease and Genesis. It's a whole, it's a whole, I mean, it's a whole other show, right? The the whole complicated situation around intellectual property, small businesses, creativity, innovation, what it does for the economy, how it affects women, people of color, veterans, any minorities, like it's a, it's a whole huge conversation and it's all under the banner of what is called access to justice. And what access just to justice boils down to is people with money can enforce their rights. People without money cannot enforce their rights, and that is not what this country is supposed to be about.
0: Right, but that's what it is. I'm very. I know. I know. <coughs> Excuse Shall me. we?
1: Do you want me to open up a bottle?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two.
1: Right. I mean, it's only 10.30, but what the hell?
0: I'm sorry that you're going through this.
1: Thank you, know, you And, it's, and it's, thank
0: you for, for the work well, that you're doing on behalf of other people like you.
1: What are you, you going to do? You know, the first thing that happens to you when you get ripped off by the Kubani family is you go online and you meet all the other people that have been ripped off by the Kubani family.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, it just is It is a staggering amount of destruction that this family has done. And they do it in collaborate. They have attorneys that help them do it. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's just not, you, you, you think that there is, people watch Shark Tank and they think, well, you know, I have a great idea. I'm going to come up with a product. I'm going to make a thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, there's just no reason to do that anymore. Right. It's very sad and it's very demoralizing. And um I would be lying if I didn't tell you I I literally thought this was gonna kill me. Like I wasn't sure. I, I actually am still kind of surprised. A I'm still surp- I'm surprised that I'm still in business, mm-hmm. but B, I'm surprised that I haven't actually had a full breakdown because of the stress. It's just awful. It completely What should have been a really fantastic thing for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was completely ready to capitalize Mm -hmm. uh, on my invention. I have been working for 30 years, learning how to build businesses, create products, get things to market, work supply chain, do finance, deal with vendor compliance. I mean, you know, all of these really complicated, complex little systems that you have to know a little bit about all of these things to be able to be successful. And I was absolutely 100% prepared for success. And they just took it. Jesus. And they drove away in their Lamborghini with it. And then they flew off in their private jet with their Labradoodle. You know, it just is sick. It. It's so I'm, it's revolting. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to channel it into something forward.
0: Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Well, I'm sending you a hug through this Thank you. podcast. Thank you. Stay strong for, for all of us. Okay. What advice do you have for any other entrepreneurs who may be going through something similar as you?
1: You know, I, um, have been, I I was going through a thing where I couldn't, I was really afraid to talk to people and afraid to, I just was paralyzed. I was so paralyzed from fear and so depressed. Mm -hmm. It was really hard, but I slowly started reengaging, uh, in the world about 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's been really good for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Connecting with the team at Fair Inventing and getting really involved in the structures, the policies, the, the way things like this exist and how how people are are able to get away with this. Learning about how this happens has been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And now trying to figure out how to prevent it from happening to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, has been really helpful. So I still hold out hope that all of the people that I have met Mm -hmm. are going to be able to find some sort of vindication, meaning some sort of, um, financial compensation for what's happened to them.
0: Unfortunately,
1: a a lot of the people that I've met are women. Mm -hmm. Um, Molly Metz is one of them, um, and Carrie Haifman, two completely different uh, patent owners that have had their lives destroyed. Um, I'm still hoping that somehow we're going to be able to fix this system and that these women who have had their livelihoods destroyed are going to be able to get some compensation. But as with me, I don't know for sure that that's going to happen. Yeah. So you just got to keep talking and keep trying and going forward. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Go find, go find your real parents, the ones with all the money.
0: <laughs> right. right.
1: <laughs> and then sue the shit out of people. Oh, excuse me.
0: We're all adults here, Juliet. It's okay. <laughs> Some of us. Yeah. Um, what about, okay. So in addition to the flippy, what have been a couple of other like challenges that you've had as an entrepreneur?
1: So there's always challenges, right? There's like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to find the right people to work with. It's really hard to find the right investors, to find smart money, right? Yeah. It's really hard to deal with the investors. It's really hard to deal with operations and consumers and retailers. And all of it is is really difficult, but those problems all make sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you you this is not supposed to be easy. Right. Right. And it can't be easy. So right. so those problems have all made sense. And when my uh my fashion accessories business failed uh back in oh nine it was because the world credit market froze.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was right. like I mean I have some superpowers but <laughs> I could not prop up the world credit market. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like holding back the tide with a toothpick. So, um, so the, the, the things that you encounter, most of them make sense. Like you can understand how these problems exist and where they come from. And you have to figure out your way through, around, or over them. Some of these problems just don't make sense. Like having greedy people just outright steal your patented product. Now that doesn't make sense to me. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting problem solving thing being Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. That's what it is. It's just problem solving all day long. That's all you do is solve problems.
0: I can relate to that because back in 2008, nine 10, 11, whatever it was, when I was running my online beauty store, lovehue.com which I'll just say I was ahead of the market because I was retailing skincare and beauty products for women of all shades because it did not exist then to the extent it does now. Of course. Um, but it, it was the same time, 2009 and huge recession. And it was just the worst time at all to be running a business like this and but every day like you said i was just trying to figure out solutions for so many problems and like doing everything soup to nuts and i was balancing a full time job while i was doing that as well so that was an extra um layer of complexity if you will but eventually i i you know i couldn't i couldn't sustain it and i certainly couldn't compete with like amazon and sephora back then Uh, so it was, it was a rough time, but you know, you learn, you grow, you take your learnings, you put them in the next, the next venture. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all you can do. It's all you can do. Um, so tell me what have been the two biggest risks you've taken in your life and how did they pay off assuming that they did?
1: I don't know. There's, I mean, it's, you know, I feel like I'm taking a risk just getting out of bed in the morning these days. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I guess that the first time that I really kind of jumped was probably when I got that job, when I was in school in London, Mm -hmm. I went to Earl's Court for the London Ski Show. This is like back in the dark ages. (laughs) And I met this guy named John Pickett. We ran a British ski school in Andorra, in the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you know, oh, it's so cool. You run a ski school in the Pyrenees. You know, how's the skiing there? I wasn't really familiar with the Pyrenees. And he was like, well, we have fantastic skiing and we have a great ski school. And I explained that I had been teaching skiing in upstate New York. And he said, well, you should come work for me. And I was like, huh maybe I should do that. And so we kind of kept in touch and, you know, everybody, all my friends at school were like, you're never going to finish school. You're never going to go back. That is crazy. You don't even know these people, blah, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And when I called my parents and said, Hey, I got a job offer. And I'm thinking about taking, uh, the next, the last second half of the year off and teaching skiing in the Pyrenees." My dad said, do it now while you're a young and good looking kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, right on dad, you know, oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and I was supporting myself. They didn't, my parents didn't give me any money and I went to Andorra and I spent, I, you know, I had a great ski season teaching skiing and shared an apartment with a bunch of friends. And I, you know, just learned, uh, you know, the, you learn so much by living abroad. A right. you learn a lot about the United States when you live abroad. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned a lot about myself and how resilient and um resourceful I can be.
0: Right. And
1: uh, you know, I think that was one of the first things that really um was one of the first big risks that I took that in the end paid off very handsomely. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I think, you know. I can't really pinpoint any of the other risks, but every time you start a business is a risk. And I've started businesses that have gone nowhere. I've started businesses that, you know, took off. And I've started businesses that looked like they were going to take off. And then they just didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just part of what it is when you're an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. Well, I've always admired your tenacity and resilience and your your energy and just keeping going and, and being your own person. Like just-
1: well, it goes both ways, dear. <laughs> we have the Mutual Admiration Society going on. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> uh,
0: my last couple of questions for you. Tell me, tell us, uh, what are you reading right now?
1: Uh, you know what? And what's, what's the next question?
0: What piece of music inspires you?
1: Okay. So I am going to answer both of those questions. Okay. With one answer. Oh, this so, would so good. You know, I am one of those freaky people that loves Steely Dan. I don't I know. I do too. I know you do. <laughs> I don't know why, but since I was a kid, that music has spoken to me. Mm hmm. Always. Since I was a kid, I remember pl- my, my parents were like, what, you know, I wanted, pre- I was like 12 years old and I was listening to Pretzel Logic in my bedroom, you know, uh, like, I, I, what is that? Who knows, right? Ricky, so don't lose I'm, that number. <laughs> I, I am reading this book called Quantum Criminals, Ramblers, Wild Gamblers, and Other Soul Survivors from the Songs of Steely Dan.
0: I need this to have that.
1: It's such a fun book. And the information that's in here about the songs and where the, like where, what the references are, it just blows your
0: mind. What does it say about Black Cow? You know, they're uh, like, take your you know, Black Cow and get what? out of here. Is
1: that a drink? Yeah. So I haven't got, Black Cow is further down than what I've already gotten into. Mm-hmm. Um, But the one that really blew my mind
0: mm-hmm. was about
1: the, the connection to, okay, Chino and Daddy G from my old school. Okay. Um, this is so crazy. So I'm going to, I'm going to redo a little bit of this. I'm going to
0: have to go listen to Stacey Dan after this now.
1: Absolutely. So, okay. you know, Donald Feg and Walter Becker were at Bard together, right? And um, let me just read this to you. So it was Donald's then-girlfriend, Dorothy White, who'd been visiting Donald on campus that weekend. Bard's administration posted bail for all Bard students and former students taken into custody that night. This included Walter. There was a raid Mm -hmm. for a variety of controlled substances. Okay. Okay. And um, this included Walter, who was still hanging around campus despite having dropped out. It did not include Dorothy White because she'd never been enrolled at Bard. A few weeks later at graduation, Donald protested this injustice by refusing not for the last time to take the stage. Donald and Walter have never confirmed that the mild school line tried to warn you about Chino and Daddy G refers to G Gordon Liddy of Watergate infamy, nor have they identified Chino, but they have acknowledged what is historically true. Before Liddy, Found his way into history by way of the committee to reelect the president. He'd been a crusading district attorney, determined to get the good people of Duchess County to protect the good people of Duchess County from the scourge of illegal drugs. So G. Gordon Liddy was behind the raid, the like the weed raid on the Bard campus, which probably is the the daddy <laughs> G. In the, in the line from my old school. I mean, what are you kidding me? It's just hilarious. So so that is that is what I am all still right. listening to Stilly Dan and I am reading Quantum Criminals. I'm going to have to read that. It's fantastic. <laughs> I just take a hit on my vape pen and I read the book. And it's like,
0: all I was like right a martini
1: world. and all the all the stuff just kind of, softens
0: yeah you do what works right that's right <laughs> but julia thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come onto my podcast i really appreciate it this is a great conversation i love you honey love you too all right everyone till next time take care bye my time my life with trinette faint is a floor 51 production